For literally thousands of years, people in all parts of the world have stewed over various roles that men and women occupy in the home, in the marketplace, and in so many areas of life. And the place of women in the church, that's received a great deal of attention in worldwide Christianity in recent years. Theological positions swing along a continuum with women should only occupy certain roles on one end, two women can occupy any role on the other end. Just so you know, that is not the debate that we're going to get into in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast. You might think that from the title that we've given it, The Roles of Women in the Work of Jesus. But actually, what we're going to do is take note of some of the many women that are included in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and see what their roles were in those stories. And our hope is that we'll find perspective and encouragement in the way these women were included in the work of Jesus. So pull your chair up to the table for another hour of studying the Bible together on Discover the Word next. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Great to have you here for an episode in which we'll be in the Gospels for our study, looking at some passages in which women were prominent characters in the story, and taking note of the roles that Jesus invited them into as they followed him. Because as we're going to see, these Gospel records seem to emphasize a fairly radical departure from the roles that women were typically allowed into. So their stories are going to be our focus in these conversations. Around the table are Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And Elisa is going to begin this study about the roles of women in the work of Jesus by asking a question that, in a good-humored kind of way, makes it intentionally awkward right out of the gate. What's your position on the role of women in Scripture? (laughs) <laughs> mm. Well, the role of women in Scripture is what it is. I mean, we read it in the Scripture, they're doing stuff. I mean, you got Deborah, who's a prophetess and a judge. Uh, you got Miriam, who's a prophetess and a worship leader. I mean, you got... You went all serious, of... Bill. That's awesome. I was well, just trying to kind of make everybody uncomfortable for oh, a minute. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I was going serious, too, because the first question was, well, which woman... Okay. Right, because right. it just depends on the story too. It um, does. Yeah, I would say countercultural that, to the culture of the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and even in some ways today as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's definitely the sense where you see not everybody is excited. Like I think about the woman at the well story in John four. And even the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, what are you doing talking mm-hmm. to this person? Yeah. And even she's like, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> <She's> <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think countercultural is a really good word to describe women's roles in Scripture because Scripture, through both Jesus's ministry and Paul's ministry, elevated women to a higher place in society than what they normally had. And I think that that's true in the Old Testament as well, but in more selective mm-hmm. cases. Yes, and then we have some women that are like the primary story person in yeah. the story, like Esther, yeah. you totally. know, or the Ruth, mm-hmm. uh, or Naomi, or mm-hmm. right. Like there's people that the whole story revolves mm-hmm. around what God is doing yeah. with or through yeah. one of these women. And then what we do with what we see in Scripture is where things can get. Yeah, mm, we can go to our corners. We can go, you know, silent. We can go to sleep because we don't want to deal with it. You know. The role of women has been a hotly debated topic for always, right? Yep. In the church, it was even, as you were saying, Russell, back in the countercultural moments when mm-hmm. Jesus interacted or when we see women in culture. And, and so in these conversations, I want us to look at what roles did women occupy in the ministry of Jesus? You know, mm-hmm. what you can debate all you want to. And there's good room for that, you know, because we have different views of Scripture and different views of what certain things mean, like in the church, in the home, etc. But when you look at passages where Jesus interacts with women, it becomes very clear 
that women absolutely occupied certain roles, and many of them men occupied as well. Okay, so that's where we're going to go in these conversations. And our anchor passage is Luke chapter 8, mm-hmm. verses 1 through 3. Now, what do we know about Luke and how he wrote his gospel and what he focused on? Well, Luke was an associate of Paul, and he ended up not only writing the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. And um, he was Greek. Uh, he was a physician. And um, he was obviously educated to be able to do all the writing that he did. Yeah. And he does a lot of what sounds like research at yeah. the beginning because hmm. he's writing his gospel for some sponsoring person that all we know of is Theophilus. Yeah. and. It says that he decided after investigating everything carefully mm. from the very first to write an orderly account mm-hmm. so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Mm-hmm. So seems very detailed, very research oriented, probably in a different way than we mm-hmm. think of research. But Probably a lot of one-on-one interviews. I yeah. mean, Luke 1 and 2, the birth narratives of John the mm-hmm. Baptist and Jesus Many scholars believe he got that by interviewing Mary herself, right, mm-hmm. right. and that's where he got the information yeah. for that. That would make sense because yeah. who else would know? Who those, would know better? You know mm-hmm. those stories. Yeah. Also, think about how Luke is known as being the gospel writer that is particularly interested and invested in the stories of those we would say are on the margins. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You know mm-hmm. uh, the poor. Gentiles, Mm -hmm. women, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what Luke is also known for. You said, how did he write? His structure is very interesting because beginning in 951 of Luke and all the way up into Luke 19 to the triumphal entry, that is kind of the main feature of the Gospel of Luke, and it's called Jesus' Journey to Jerusalem. In 951, Jesus purposes to go to Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and then in chapter 19, you come to the triumphal entry, and that block Everything that Luke includes in that block is preparation for what's going to happen when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Mm. And uh, that's kind of the main feature of Mm. it. But again, along the way, a lot of marginalized Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. tax collectors, lepers, you know, all the folks that normal society tended to overlook. His focus on women is unique uh, to the Gospels as well. I mean, he, he has more mention of women than any other Gospel writer. As we go into looking at these roles, let's start out by reading this anchor passage. This is Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. Russell, would you read that for us? Sure. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Soon after... Or after this. So what comes right before chapter 8 is chapter Chapter (laughs) 7. I love the way that works. (laughs) That's good. But the last account given Mm -hmm. is the account of what's known as the sinful woman. I'm using air quotes here. The woman who anointed Jesus' Mm -hmm. feet at the home of Simon the Pharisee. The sinful woman. That story going straight into the words that Russell just read from 8, Mm -hmm. 1 through 3, which is interesting. So soon after that. So we actually had these two stories butted up against each other. Okay, who was this woman in Luke 7? We know that Mm -hmm. she was the sinful woman. And what was her role? It was a a giver, you know, an anointer, right? If you're going to look at roles, which is with the little particular eye hole, I want to look through this in these conversations. Why did she give? Well, because she had first received. Yeah, she'd been forgiven Mm -hmm. by Jesus. In fact, Jesus makes a big deal of that, Mm -hmm. saying what, Bill? The one who's forgiven much loves much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, this particular story that you're highlighting, Elisa, of Simon the Pharisee and the so-called sinful woman. And I say so-called because the way it's stated, it's almost like the assumption was she was the only sinful person in town. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But uh, this is an example. Kenneth Bailey, who's a scholar we refer to a good bit on this program, Kenneth Bailey says, that in the Gospel of Luke, there are 27 times that Luke sets up a man and a woman Mm -hmm. in contrast to each other. Mm -hmm. You have 
Simeon in contrast to Anna. Mm -hmm. You have the so-called sinful woman in contrast with Simon the Mm -hmm. Pharisee, Mm -hmm. the one who loves much because she was forgiven much, Mm -hmm. the other who doesn't love at all because he doesn't think he needs to be forgiven of anything. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting in this story, the order is a little different because it's not till verse 48 that Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. So she's actually pouring out all of this extravagant worship on him before there's like this pronouncement of forgiveness. But there's something about Jesus that's That's drawing her Mm -hmm. to him Mm -hmm. as the one who can meet needs in her that are deeper than she's found with anyone else. It doesn't feel transactional, like she's going to come pour this out because she's going to get something. She's Mm -hmm. already received something from him, and so she's acting out this love. And isn't that interesting? So what we look at then in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 8 are these women who are accompanying Jesus. And, And let's go ahead and focus in on those three verses. What do you catch here? The first role that I want us to see is that women were receivers. Yeah. They were recipients. And why? Because they had been included Mm. in this ministry. So what do you make of these three verses? Well, it says also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and Mm -hmm. diseases Mm -hmm. and Mary Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. I mean, you talk about people on the margins, the demon possessed were Mm -hmm. outcasts Mm -hmm. because they were viewed as dangerous and not a little scary. And I think there's a maybe an extent to which this brings extra exclamation points to the story of the sinful woman, because Mm -hmm. it's almost like Luke is organizing this to say, hey, look at how many stories I could have written out about the Mm -hmm. women that Jesus met. I'm going to tell you this story, but I want you to know this isn't the only one. Here are some of the other women that Jesus did amazing things with. And then just to kind of help us put this together in a sandwich, because scripture (laughs) flows, what follows verse 3 of chapter 8? What story does Luke go to next? It's a very familiar one. The parable of the sower. Okay. What's the main point of the parable of the sower? The seed falling in good soil, that good soil are those who receive the message and let it sink into their life and bear fruit. Mm. So Mm. you're saying that that is even in connection with Mm -hmm. this illustration of these women Mm -hmm. who have received Mm. the seed of the word and are now bearing fruit. And to the sinful woman part, Daniel, I I hear what you're saying about Jesus says your sins have been forgiven. But a lot of scholars believe that that had happened in a previous encounter and now Jesus is declaring it to the whole community that she right. has been forgiven, that that wasn't the moment in which she mm-hmm. became forgiven. The other thing I think it's maybe valuable to notice is the resistance or the criticism that the woman received mm-hmm. as a result of her service to yeah. Jesus, which is what prompts Jesus to present the analogy or the example that he gives. And so her lavishness, her you know sense of worship, her sense of service is met with some criticism. And I think that's something that is not included by accident. As part of the countercultural part you mentioned earlier, because she was where she wasn't supposed to be doing what she wasn't supposed to do in the eyes of the community, but she did it anyway because of how much she loved. And how beautiful it is that it's Jesus, the one who calls her out and lifts mm-hmm. her up and says, you know, you're really blessed because you've received, you yeah. know, bottom line. And then he goes on, I mean, Luke goes on to include these verses in the first part of chapter eight, that women were with Jesus and the disciples. Question, what do you think is the significance of, in verse three, mm-hmm. it says, Joanna, the wife of mm-hmm. Chusa, Herod's household manager. Like, because that can kind of feel like interesting on the front, on a couple ones. Like, one, Herod isn't like a good guy. (laughs) He's not a good guy. No, but it's kind of like in Mm -hmm. some of Paul's letters when he talks about the gospel reaching even into Caesar's household and Ah. stuff. I think it's just showing how the gospel is just kind of beginning to permeate. There are believers planted right within Mm -hmm. the camp of the enemy, if you will. And, you know, Herod is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And this is someone from right within that camp. And so we're seeing in this first conversation. Women were recipients. Mm -hmm. You know, they were the good soil. They received the seed and they were the recipients of his grace. They were forgiven and therefore they were included. Important start to our study this time and uh, the first role that we see of the women in the work of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. All the women that we'll be looking at for the rest of this conversation began their participation in the work of Jesus through the role of being 
a recipient. They were receivers of something from Jesus. And as we continue the conversation, the other roles that we'll see them in will come out of this first foundational role of being a recipient. The roles of women in the work of Jesus. That is the study on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. And you're at the table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. So I've been asking this question, you know, what's your position on the role of women? And I've said at times in, in Scripture, and that's actually what we're talking about in these conversations. But, you know, when we apply that to what is the role of women in church or in the home or in the workplace, we get kind of sweaty palmed mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Or we get feisty. Or we get feisty. Right? Like we assume that we have the right perspective and someone else mm-hmm. has the wrong perspective. Mm-hmm. And I remember a conversation, Elisa, that you had with Robert Gelinas mm-hmm. on our podcast, God Hears Her. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really took away from that was him just talking about honoring people on both sides of a mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty amazing. And he was specifically talking about roles of women, mm-hmm. which was helpful. Yeah, I think to be able to disagree respectfully Mm -hmm. is kind of becoming a lost art. Mm. The whole idea of a public square where ideas can be shared and received respectfully is kind of a foreign thing today because nobody's listening. Mm. Everybody's talking. Mm. Yeah, and there's something about the process of listening that itself invites a different kind of perspective You know, I love when someone said there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. (laughs) You know, we're supposed to listen twice Mm -hmm, as much. And mm -hmm. so I'm ready, Mm -hmm. looking forward to listening. Mm. And, you know, we may have different positions, all of our listeners, et cetera, on how we think women should serve. But the reality is we're looking at how they did participate Mm. in the ministry of Jesus in Scripture. And let's let that inform Mm -hmm. our Mm. conclusions about what they may be able to do today or whenever. And so, you know, the first role that we looked at in our last conversation is the role of recipient. You know, women, Mm. like the good soil in the parable of the sower, received the gospel and it grew in their hearts. And as they did so, they were changed, all right? Mm -hmm. And in Luke chapter 8, which is our anchor passage for these conversations, we see women with Jesus, with the 12, accompanying him. And the second role that I want us to look at is the role of supporter or giver. Mm -hmm. And so as you think about it, let's ask this question. You know, what do you give to with your money, with your time, with your interest, typically we give to things where we've received <laughs> prior, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. One of the ministries that Marlene and I support is Slavic Gospel Association because I worked with them for a number of years going to Russia teaching pastors. And we just have a high level of confidence in them as an organization, in their mission, and having participated in the mission, seeing the results of it over there in the former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. It's made it something that we believe in yeah, and yeah. to the point that we're willing to support. Yeah. yeah, and that belief, I think, is the other aspect of it because mm-hmm. sometimes maybe we haven't directly received from the organization, but it's something that we know we can't do, right? Like we can't fight human trafficking or slavery in the world or something like that in the same way that maybe an organization can. I mean, you can buy fair trade and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which is important and good, but we support those organizations that are much more equipped mm-hmm. and able to do some Mm -hmm. of the things that we know God calls us to, Mm -hmm. but that we can't ourselves Mm -hmm. do for any reason. Yeah, I think about how the easiest yeses to giving that I've (laughs) experienced is with a ministry or a context in which I was myself Mm -hmm. a beneficiary of Mm -hmm. at some point, you know, so whether that was church or whether that was a nonprofit or, you know, just this aspect of like, I know this works because mm-hmm. I experienced the blessing mm-hmm. of that work mm-hmm. myself. And we want to help those ministries continue, you know, yeah. so we want to be involved. We want to help in some way. Daniel, would you read Luke 8, 1 through 3? And let's sure. listen to where mm-hmm. do you hear the women in Luke's narration here? And we're going to talk about how they may have received and, and how they're giving. So Luke 8 begins with soon afterwards, and we talked about in our last conversation, after this woman had come and extravagantly given of her wealth through Mm -hmm. pouring it out on Jesus' feet. But he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. 
Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Okay. What do you notice immediately in that last sentence? <laughs> provided for them out of their own resources, yeah. 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 Um, and what would they have provided? It's really interesting because he doesn't tell us. Mm-hmm. Luke doesn't tell us. But you can imagine, I mean, Jesus and 12 other men traveling throughout the countryside, they're going to need some kind of funding in order to just have food to eat. And they might not have necessarily needed a place to stay because Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. The son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. But they would have needed some kind of supply to just be able to keep going. And I would think in the very least, they were being supported out of the means of these women. Isn't that kind of unusual Mm -hmm. for women to support men in this culture? Yeah, I mean, my understanding of Roman culture at the time or Mm -hmm. Jewish culture at the time was that that wasn't the expectation Mm -hmm. of women's contribution to society. It was, you know, more childbearing, domestic Mm -hmm. childbearing and hospitality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe the hospitality was expected and the norm, but, Mm -hmm. you know, the financial support and the term is the same term for deacon. So it's a kind of a spiritual and material support that they're giving. Not uncommon, really, for women to support rabbis, but super uncommon for them to travel with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that in in another conversation. But let's go back and look at these individual women. Okay, who do we see first on the scene here? Mary Magdalene. Okay, and we know about her, and Bill shared this, that, you know, she had had seven demons cast out of her, and that when you have demons, you're not exactly included in the in-circle in society. So she is someone who's come from the margin and is now included in Jesus's circle. We're told that she comes from Magdalene, which is Magdal Nunaja. It means fish tower, mm-hmm. which is a location. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, isn't yeah. it? Migdal means tower. Thank you. You said um, it better. <laughs> there was a, near Bethlehem, mm-hmm. when Jesus was born, there was Migdal Eder, which was the tower of the sheep from which the shepherds would watch the flocks and mm-hmm. stuff. Okay. I think when you talk about Mary Magdalene's story, I think she is one of the most often misrepresented characters in the Bible. Because if you see any presentation of the Gospels in film or in fiction, she's always presented as a prostitute. And nowhere in the story is she ever described. She's described as having once been demon-possessed by seven demons. Right, and that's, that's it. That's the totality and that we're given. it could be, Bill, that's a great insight that because this mention of her follows the yeah. sinful woman account in, in Luke mm-hmm. 7, that we make that yeah. conclusion. But, but they don't make the conclusion no. that the sinful woman could have been Joanna right. mm-hmm. or, or Susanna or one of the other women. Good. So we don't really know what her means was, but this is one of them. And she wants to give back Mm -hmm. because she's been Mm -hmm. freed from the demons. Who's the next person that's named? Joanna, the... Wife of Herod's steward, Chusa. Wow. There seems to be some means there, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he would be well paid. Yeah, he would have been the household administrator, kind of a similar role to what Joseph would have had for Potiphar back in Genesis 39, kind of the household manager. That's helpful. Kind of dude. And it's significant that she, who really resided within the enemy's camp, if you will, is a follower of Mm -hmm. Jesus and gives out of Mm -hmm. her means to support him. And then who else is mentioned? Susanna and many others. Okay. What do we know about Susanna? Zero. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know anything about her. This is, you know, just her name. And many others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? Well, it's like Daniel said, I think, in the first conversation. It's almost like Luke tells the one story of the sinful woman, and then he lists these other women to say, there are a whole lot of stories I could tell. I'm just telling you this one. And you got to figure for every one of these women that's following Jesus Mm -hmm. and supporting the ministry, Mm -hmm. every one of them has a story of redemption. Mm -hmm. And every one of them has been welcomed into participation because of that. Yeah, that's really good. In Mark 15, he mentions Mary Magdalene. Mary, some think that's the mother of Jesus. Some think it's another Mary, Salome, the mother of James and John, the wife of Zebedee. There are some who think that she's the sister of Jesus' mother. And again, they're supporting Jesus, caring for his needs, humble service, encircling Mm -hmm. him, caring for him. It's a background story. You know, it's one we can just easily whip by and move on into the story of the sower. 
But let's pause long enough to respect and appreciate and receive the intentionality of Luke Mm -hmm. in including it here. These three verses, including women in the role of recipient and then supporter. Mm. And it also seems like a foreshadowing of what we experience in Acts chapter 2, which Mm -hmm. Luke writes the sequel, where he mentions that when the Spirit comes on Pentecost, that it's the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that on the last days I'll pour my Spirit on all flesh, Mm -hmm. you know, men and women, Mm -hmm. sons and daughters. so helpful to have conversations like this, isn't it? Where we open up the Bible together and read passages that include the names of women who followed Jesus and served in his ministry. And as Elisa said, women absolutely were involved in the life and work of Jesus when he was here on earth. And the two roles we've identified so far are that of recipient or receiver and supporter. Now, in the next segment, they're going to talk about a term that is commonly used in Christianity. The term is disciple. The dictionary defines a disciple as someone who is a pupil of or an adherent of the doctrines of another. An example is it gives our disciples of Freud or disciples of Gandhi, disciples of Jesus. Well, the next role the group's going to explore is that of disciple. What did it mean and what did it look like that there were quite a few women in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life that could be called disciples? We'll get to that part of the conversation in just a moment. But first, as we study this together this week, I want to encourage the women listening to get plugged into a podcast from Our Daily Bread Ministries made for women by women called God Hears Her. This podcast is hosted by Elisa Morgan and Aaron Eddy. And in a couple of weeks, they'll be launching into a new season of Conversations, Season 8. Hello! We are so excited to announce Season 8 of God Hears Her. It's coming up on May the 1st. We can't wait for you to join our conversations about women of the Bible. Yeah, and our conversation with Dr. Allison Cook about toxic behaviors. I still cannot believe that we got to talk to the vice president of I Am Second Ministries and the Her True Worth Ministry. We have so many amazing conversations coming up. You don't want to miss these. Make sure to check out season eight starting May 1st. Mark your calendars. We'll see you there. Yeah, you'll find a link to listen to past episodes from previous seasons when you go online to our website at discovertheword.org. Or you can search for God Hears Her on your favorite podcasting app so you get the newest episodes as soon as they drop. And now, let's get back to our study of the roles of women in the work of Jesus. Okay, so when I mention the disciples of Jesus, what names come to mind? Just roll off your tongue. Matthew, Mark, Luke. A little bit louder. Hey, that's Gospels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think no. of Peter, yeah. uh, James and John, mm-hmm. Judas, Judas, mm-hmm. the other Judas, mm-hmm. Simon the Zealot, mm-hmm. Matthew the tax Bartholomew. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I love He's Bartholomew. He's got such a great name, yeah. doesn't he? <laughs> Have we said Andrew yet? No. One time I got asked that by some really smart person, and I was so embarrassed I could only come up with about <laughs> six, and then I started doing the Gospels like yeah. I started Daniel's funny. Okay, what about these names? What about Salome, Joanna, Susanna, Daniel, Bill, Rasul, hmm. Elisa? It's funny how we think about immediately when we say disciples, we jump to the 12. Well, we think of them, I guess, as first tier yeah. <laughs> and then maybe we're like the B or C team. Yeah, way down there. <laughs> Practice squad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We think about the 12, but there are a million, billion other disciples who have walked on this planet and many are reside with Jesus, right? It's interesting to think about, you know, as we look at the roles women occupied in the earthly ministry of Jesus, one of them is being a disciple, mm-hmm. a follower, just like you and me. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to our anchor passage for these conversations and read this passage and think about that concept of what does it mean to be in, in the role of disciple for women. Bill, would you read Luke 8, 1 through 3? And it came about soon afterwards that Jesus began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve, that would be Daniel's first tier, uh, (laughs) the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. 
Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Okay, so so far we've looked at two roles, the role of recipient. And what do we mean by that? That those women represented the good soil that comes right after this, mm-hmm. received Jesus's message, and as a result, it penetrated their hearts and made a difference in their lives to the point that they became, our second conversation, supporters of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It overflowed in generosity mm. and care and good fruit. Yeah, much like us. You know, we yeah. have received the gospel. Mm-hmm. Everybody at this table and many, 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 many listening, you know, we've received the seed of the gospel and we've responded gratefully knowing that he's forgiving our sins and inviting us into a relationship with him. And we want to give back. We give back through our lives. We give back through our finances. We give back through our giftings that he's given us in our communities and our churches. Similarly, these women, recipients and supporters. And then similar to us, they're followers, they're disciples. Now, what do you make of that inclusion? Well, it was unusual. I mean, the rabbinic tradition in Israel was a very defined kind of thing. A rabbi would gather followers around him. The The followers basically had four roles. They were to travel and spend all their time with the rabbi. They were to learn his teaching, not only learn it, but to learn it word for word mm-hmm. so they could repeat it to others. Mm-hmm. And then they were supposed to make more disciples to the rabbi. Those were kind of their main yeah. roles mm-hmm. as followers. So when we think about disciples, we think about the twelve. And it's interesting that that phrase, the 12, is used. It's it doesn't there. say the 12 mm-hmm. disciples. It says the 12. And it's capitalized um, in English. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is often followed by crowds. Mm-hmm. Or later in Luke 10, you have the mission of the 70. So these 70 that Jesus appoints. How do we know they're disciples mm-hmm. versus just a part of this group of people that happen to be following Jesus? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, one thing, uh, you know, recently our church, our lead pastor just preached on discipleship on Sunday. So this is kind of vivid in my mind mm-hmm. that the concept of a disciple did not start in the church. Like mm-hmm. when you think about of a follower learner you know, even going to like how Plato, Aristotle, Mm -hmm. you know, like there was a framework in the culture of people learning from someone else. So in a a basic sense, anyone who's wanting to follow the ways and as Bill said, not just like a lesson in the classroom, but literally I'm going to form myself by being as much like my Mm -hmm. teacher Mm -hmm. as possible. And so in that sense, it wasn't as as much of a technical term as we would say the person is enrolled and they've, you know, Mm -hmm. matriculated and they have an ID. But it is a sense in which by their actions, by their profession, by their commitment, right, of come follow me, that they have made the decision to be a disciple. And in that sense, it's a less technical term than the Mm -hmm. way that we use it to refer to the 12. But the imagery's not just with Jesus. I mean, John the Baptist had disciples mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. followers, two of whom, John and Andrew, left him in John 1 to follow mm-hmm. and become disciples of Jesus. So, mm-hmm. uh, the word disciple in the Greek, I think, is mathetes, which means learner. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot from that. It's a great point, Bill, and go to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, and listen for that learner position. Daniel, would you read that for us? Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. And we've talked about this passage many Mm -hmm. times together. What is the better part that Mary chose? And for that, go to verse uh, 39. Yeah, she was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. Mm -hmm. Which is language that I guess would be tied to disciples, right? They're ones who sit at the feet of their rabbi. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Paul said he learned what he learned at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a well-known teacher in Jewish circles in the first century. So Mm -hmm. this is very much picturing a disciple-learner kind of role. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And just to flesh this out a little bit more, Russell, would you grab Mark 15, 40 to 41? Yep. So we've got disciple, we've got learner, and now let's listen to the verb that Mark uses to describe the women. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. <laughs> Did anybody catch the word follow yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got watching, follow, cared, and were there in presence. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, to go back to Daniel's comment about the first tier, maybe there wasn't a first tier, but there was a sense in which Jesus's followers were like concentric circles. You had kind of the inner group of Peter, James, and John. Then you had the rest of the 12. Then you had like the 70. Then you had like the 120 and maybe the 500 even, Mm -hmm. and then the crowds. And so the tighter you were in in those concentric circles, the more access you had to Jesus, the more probably you were fitting into that traditional role of a learner Mm -hmm. or a disciple. And it's, it's clear that in the 12, we know this, There were no women. Jesus did not pick a woman to be among that group. But women are included as disciples throughout different passages. Mm -hmm. In fact, in Luke 8, 1 and 2, the 12 were with him as well as Mm. both the 12 and women. The reality, though, is is you look at the story of Mary. You look at the story of Martha later in Scripture as she, too, becomes Jesus' mm-hmm. student. And you look at this end of his life moment when the followers, the women are followers there. And you, there's no doubt that you see women as learners, followers, mm. disciples mm. in the work and the earthly ministry of Jesus. Yeah, I think in that role of a learner, I think it's very clear. I do think we need to be careful because there were some things that Jesus entrusted to his disciples mm-hmm when he sent them out, and by his disciples, I mean the 12, when he sent them out, you know, he gave them authority to heal, to cast out demons, to do a lot of things. And we don't see the women disciples being included into that arena. Except when we look at, and we'll get to this in further conversations, we will see other ways they have been included. I mean, there's no doubt, like for instance, he took just Peter and John, you know, up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't put everybody everywhere, right? In one sense, it strikes me as a very natural and almost obvious process that someone who starts as a recipient, you know, look at Mary Magdalene, delivered from seven demons and mentions in Luke 8, 1 that all of these women in different ways had been healed and been restored in some way. Mm-hmm. It's a very natural thing that experience something so life-giving to say, I'm going to follow this person, mm-hmm. look at what they did for me, and look at who they are, yeah. who they've revealed themselves to be. Mm-hmm. And yet, on the other hand, there is something very uh, unique happening in the culture where this rabbi mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has opened up. Mm-hmm. His, you know, uh, teaching and yeah. followership mm-hmm. to include women in a culture that that never would have happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's what makes the Mary and Martha incident in Luke 10 so fascinating, because in a sense, Martha is towing the cultural line mm-hmm. of her day. She's in there. She's doing the food mm-hmm. prep. She's working toward hospitality, the way that she can gain status in the community mm-hmm. through hospitality while her sister Mary is kind of the counterculture Mm. sitting at the feet of the rabbi and learning. And the conflict comes because Mary is not fulfilling her cultural role. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, no, she's doing something more important. Mm -hmm. And I think it is really helpful to think of just disciple that word in light of all the teaching we hear on discipleship these days. And Mm -hmm. I know this is a different culture, different time. But when we, like, where did we get these ideas of discipleship, as Rasul, you were kind of pushing us toward earlier in the conversation? Well, we get it from looking at what the people, how they acted when they were Mm -hmm. around Jesus. They followed him, they listened to him, they learned from him. And today, that's what we encourage people to do, is Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. learn to walk with Jesus. We even use Mm -hmm. that language, right? And which is similar discipleship language. And so when I think of it in that context, it makes total sense that uh, women would be included in that just like they are today as followers of Jesus who not just internalize 
the message and hear it and it bears fruit in their lives, but also as ones who pursue more of learning from Jesus as well. So while we have more to discuss here, let's highlight, okay, these three roles so far we've covered a recipient and supporter and disciple. ever served as a, a witness, like in a court case? Yep. I was thinking of a wedding at first. <laughs> you know how they'll like, you, like you have to have you, people oh. there. You to, sign the certificate. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, yeah, or a, that was a positive one. That is good. Or admitting somebody to a hospital, you need yeah, a witness yeah. sometimes in your signature. Mm-hmm. Being a witness is observing firsthand or validating firsthand, as you were mentioning, Daniel, that something is real, that something has happened the specifics about it. As we've been considering the roles that women occupied in the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, looking into the gospel specifically, this is the fourth role that we've seen. We've covered Mm -hmm. they were recipients, they were supporters, they were disciples of Jesus. And now in this conversation, they were witnesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go to our core passage and ground ourselves there, our anchor passage. And then I want to take us to another passage to understand this differently. Russell, would you read Luke 8, 1 through 3? After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Mm. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay. Just in those verses, what do we see about witnessing? Well, the fact that we know what happened to them has something to do with them sharing their story. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess other people could have just observed it and told them, but most likely when Luke is doing his research on the gospel, he's talking to some people that could talk about what Jesus actually did for them. And so they've witnessed that Mm -hmm. in some way. They've been walking around with him and following him and watching, Mm -hmm. for instance, maybe they were present in watching the, quote, sinful woman anoint him. But what do we do know for sure? These are women who had been, what? This is in, in verse two. They had been cured. healed and uh, rescued. Okay. Yeah. That's personal. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, if I'm Mary Magdalene and Jesus healed me of seven spirits, I can witness to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then go back up to verse one again. Jesus is traveling from one town and village to another. And what's he doing? Proclaiming the good news. So they're witnessing, and we talked about in our last conversation, learning, you know, as disciples would. Okay, so just in, in those concrete little verses, we see it. But now let's go to a different story. Let's go to John 20 and verses 1 to 2, and then the end of the story, 11 to 18. And let's look at Mary Magdalene, who we just met. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what does she uniquely get to witness? Uh, Daniel, would you read 1 and 2? And then Bill, could you pick up 11 to 18? Sure. John 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Okay, and and so in between, what happens here before we get to verse 11? Peter and John run to the tomb, and I think the way it's worded is the one whom Jesus loved ran faster than Peter. (laughs) For for some reason, it's really important to John that we know that he could outrun Peter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, And John stops outside the tomb and looks in, and Peter Peter. runs in. I heard one teacher say one time he could imagine a Peter-shaped dent in the back wall of the tomb. (laughs) He just ran right in until he hit the wall. I love this cartoon. I love that. Okay, and then... Mary stays at the tomb while they leave, okay? And now we pick it up in verse 11, Bill. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, She turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, 
Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Wow. I mean, that is so goosebumply isn't mm-hmm. it, to, yeah. to me. She turns towards him and cries out, Rabboni. Mm-hmm. which teacher. means teacher. And mm-hmm. in our last conversation, right. yeah. my yeah. goodness, here it's Mary of Magdalene, yeah. whom Luke mentions in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, clearly is a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus. I think it's really interesting, mm-hmm. Elisa, as you're kind of helping us connect some of these dots. Not only is she clearly a witness of the risen Christ, but she was also a witness of the dead Christ. She so was good. at the cross mm-hmm. when Jesus died That's as so well. Good. So mm-hmm. she is a witness to the whole gospel in mm-hmm. that sense. In fact, if you look at Matthew 27, 55, many women were there. We're talking about the cross. This is mm-hmm. what you're referring to. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and John, and the mother of Zebedee's yeah. sons. So yes, so she has witnessed his ministry, She has witnessed his suffering, his death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She witnesses, just look back in the John passage, she saw the stone was removed. She looked inside and saw two angels. And then she saw Jesus standing before her, risen. Then she calls him Rabboni. And then he says, go and tell my brothers. And she runs and tells them, Mm. I have seen the Lord. Mm. And she told them everything that he had said. Wow. And it's interesting, we've talked in a previous conversation about the concentric circles of followers. Mm -hmm. And like the further you go out, the less like personal or personal contact they might have with Jesus. Well, if you think about who was the closest, the 12, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, how many of them are at the cross? John. John. Whereas there's more women there watching Jesus still with him, even in his final moments before the resurrection than there are even the disciples, yeah. quote unquote, 12. And when I read it, there's a combination to me where I feel like there's a certain sense of courage mm-hmm. that they are displaying mm. because it's still a fraught situation for the disciples, yeah. you know, to see, I mean, Jesus is being executed by the state, right? <laughs> How much, you know, was the likelihood that the same people that said crucify him could say, and he, they were with him, right? right? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a certain courage there, but then there's also a sense of faith, like at the tomb, at the empty tomb, the fact that they came and the fact that they were still trying to take care of him when other people are still maybe hiding out. It just seems like it's not a coincidence that they get these moments to have this opportunity because they're showing up. Mm -hmm. And not only do they show up at the cross and at the empty tomb, but also at the burial. Right. I mean, to anoint his body. Yeah. They were there at the burial itself. So, you know, Paul said the things that are first importance are Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, they were there. He was buried, they were there, and he rose again the third day. According to scripture, Mary was there. That's good. And I wonder if that even pulls us all the way back to our very first conversation of, um, were we talking about the quote-unquote sinful woman? Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, the one who has been forgiven little loves little. Mm -hmm. These are all women that have experienced like Jesus' radical love and forgiveness. And inclusion. And inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that that love is pouring out of them And as a result, maybe they're in places that some of the others aren't. And we could think of many other women in Scripture who also were witnesses. Who who comes to mind? How about the woman who had a bleeding? And she reached out and touched the hem. The Samaritan woman at the well. Come and see. Come and see. A man. Yeah, Martha at the grave of her brother Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how about the little girl where he says, Talitha kum, and she rises from the dead. Mm -hmm. How about the widow of Nain who watches him resurrect her son? The woman where Jesus says, where are your accusers? They were getting ready to stone her and they're all gone. What do you think is the significance that Jesus instructs Mary Magdalene to inform Mm -hmm. the rest of the disciples. Well, many say that uh, she is the first evangelist. You know, Mm -hmm. she was the first witness of his risen body. So it it is significant. And to look at the fact that he chose Mary to reveal himself to, and then she became the herald 
to the rest mm-hmm. of the disciples who were hiding mm-hmm. is very significant. And going back to the very first conversation, Russell, you used the word countercultural. Mm-hmm. And that, what you just described, Elisa, was countercultural because women were not considered reliable witnesses in court situations. Well, if we remember, the disciples first thought that the women were saying nonsense yeah. and ignored them. So we've got a fourth role here that women fully occupied in the New Testament and today as witnesses. And we're continuing to add more roles fulfilled by women in the work of Jesus as we scroll through the Gospels and look at them with this kind of filter or lens. You're listening to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And you're at the table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. As the team continues to explore the gospel records of Jesus' life and ministry to discover the many roles of women in the work of Jesus. And we've got one more role that we want to look at. And for this one, I'd like you to think about something. Is there a woman who was instrumental in pointing you to Jesus? I would not be surprised at all if there was a woman that came to mind that was heavily involved in your coming to Christ. Well, the conclusion of this week's study follows a look ahead to where the group will be going for our next podcast. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Rasul Berry leads the group in a study about the first family of faith. And the thing that's interesting is that we often think that everybody else's family is perfect no and kidding. that ours is the only one that yeah. has struggles. Yeah. But the reality is we all have some level of dysfunction in our families. And over the next few conversations, we're going to actually look at how God works in even the most dysfunctional family situations to draw us close to himself and make people whole. And we're going to look at the first family of faith, as I call it. Yeah, discover who was in that first family of faith. And hear Rasul and Elisa Morgan and Marte Hahn and Bill Crowder share stories about how God works even in our dysfunctional family situations. The first family of faith on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now one more important role that we see women occupying in the work of Jesus. Evangelist is kind of a complicated word in our culture today. Why is that? Well, because it's a word that in its original use described a function and we've turned it into a title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've formalized it in a sense because the word evangelist is the same word as the word evangel, which is good news. So an evangelist is someone who brings good news, hmm. any kind of good news bringer. But we've kind of formalized it and turned it into the office of the evangelist with a capital E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, what makes me uncomfortable with the word is I think of some of the really high pressure tactics that I've seen of people Mm -hmm. trying to convert someone and often in a very, what I feel like is a very unloving and unkind way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's some of the baggage too. Because it's really used uniquely of a religious conversion today, Mm -hmm. not just general good news as you were saying. Well, I was going to say Mm -hmm. that up until recently, Mm -hmm. but now you do hear like in tech spaces and other places, anyone who is very zealous about a certain thing, they will refer themselves as a tech evangelist or something like that. It kind of has kind of come full circle. Cool nomenclature, yeah. 25 years ago, I heard it first used that way, Russell, of people who were really sold on Apple technology and they were Apple evangelists. (laughs) But yeah, we get kind of confused and a little bit uncomfortable with the term at times. Mm -hmm. But the word does mean share the good news. And, you know, another way we could talk about it, and many of us around this table as we're talking, we've been in ministries that are all about sharing the gospel. It's Mm -hmm. all about Mm -hmm. helping Mm -hmm. people come to know Christ. They're evangelistic ministries, you know. We could call it reproduction. We could call it multiplication. We could call it sharing your faith. Um, We could call it giving a cup of water to someone. I mean, we can Mm -hmm. call it a lot of things, and maybe you have a favorite term for it. But this role of because you've received good news, and because you've given back from the good news, and because you've become a disciple of the one who is the good news, and therefore a witness of his work in your life, you want others to know about it, Mm, right? 
That's what it comes down yeah. to. And so this is the fifth role that we see women occupying in the earthly ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the role of evangelist. Let's go to our anchor passage and read it, and let's listen to how that anchor passage sets up the expression of this role, okay? Hey, Daniel, would you grab it for us this time, Luke 8, 1 to 3? After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So in a way, Jesus is kind of that first evangelist, right? Uh (laughs) Proclaiming Uh good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Where do you see evangelism or do you in these verses? I don't. Maybe okay. I'm missing it, but I don't. I'm sure you're going to show me where I'm missing it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, kind of saw it with Jesus himself. He's yeah, I mean, I get that part. News but of the kingdom, connecting it to the women themselves, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't seeing. But yeah, you're right, Daniel, with Jesus. Yeah, yeah I, I think this is the background text for the more vivid illustrations of them being evangelists. But if you think about this, Jesus is traveling about where, from one town and village. To another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, along with his pack, you know, his tribe, his gang, they're all with him. And you've got, we know the 12, most of them, what they have come from. And we are now knowing these women, what they have come from. They're healed. They're set in their right mind. One is a part of Herod's household. You know, they're all here. So even just to be associated in his company while he's proclaiming the good news, it isn't maybe an unspoken, at the best, you know, role of evangelist. But we do know, we go on and we watch Mary Magdalene, who is right here in this moment at the tomb, observing the risen Christ, and then running to tell the disciples and witnessing and evangelizing them. But let's look at another story. This is one where you're going to see a woman evangelizing, but in an unsuspecting way. This is Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And Bill and Russell, would you guys divide that up and read that? Okay. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So just an aside here, I think it's interesting to look at the the use of perfume here, and they're getting all uncomfortable because it could have been sold and getting the money given to the poor. When you put that in the context of Luke 8, and these women were supporting him from their means, it's just an interesting contrast. Mm-hmm. And, and he has no problem yeah. with her investment. Where do you see the evangelization? And let, really look at verses 8 and 9. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for what? Yeah, burial. Yeah. And what in the world was he talking about? Well, they, the disciples don't know yet. Um, If there's one thing we see through the story, it's often that they don't understand really what Jesus is saying until much later after it happens. And so the disciple, Mary, Mm -hmm. somehow gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that to what you're saying, Daniel, it wasn't really till the second half of Jesus's ministry that he even started talking about Mm He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be tormented. Mm -hmm. He's going to be killed, and he's going to rise again. So it's really actually late in his ministry that he starts talking about this is kind of a first hint. Well, he's been referring to it, but who knows if he's had private conversations with her. But, you know, this Mm -hmm. is right around the triumphal entry, and she gets it and anoints his body. I really think this is a, a sermon without words almost. 
I understand where you're headed, and I'm going to honor you. But then look at the next verse, verse 9. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Her story is now a part of the story that the evangelists will bring to the world. So as they're proclaiming the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, she's now included in that amazing story of what God's doing. And I just want to push this an idea just a little bit further and ask the question, you know, when we come to Christ, when we're converted, we're different. We're different from the inside, but we're also different on the outside of how we act and what we do and, you know, where we put feet on our faith. Mm. And there is a way in which, you know, the gospel is love lived out. I mean, that's what Jesus did on the cross was live it out, you know, because, you know, you don't hear the story of Mary of Bethany every time the four spiritual laws are presented or whatever. But every time the reality of Jesus' love for us is given, it's love lived out. You know, I have to admit that most of the time when I read this passage, I did not grasp that she understood what she was doing. I almost kind of just interpreted that Jesus had decided to almost theologize mm. what her mm. action meant action mm-hmm. meant it seemed like man this seems like an overreaction yeah. like wherever <laughs> the gospel is preached around the world because yeah. but it only makes sense i think if she understood what she's doing because then that means that in contrast to the disciples who you look at peter actually rebukes jesus for saying that he's mm-hmm. going to the grave in contrast to judas who then the very next verse betrays jesus mm-hmm. right mm-hmm she is actually demonstrating a sense of understanding of the value of his death, burial, and then therefore resurrection. And remember, she sat at his feet. Right. She learned from him. She listened to him. She struggled with her faith when Lazarus died and Mm. Jesus didn't come. This is a woman who's, I would say she's had the opportunity to mature in her faith, you know, Mm. so, but one other story to look at, and this one's probably much more familiar on the topic of being an evangelist. And it's the story of the woman at the well in John 4. And just to pick up a couple of verses of it, I think it's a pretty well-known story that Jesus comes to a well in the middle of the day and asks this Samaritan woman, who he probably shouldn't have been talking to by their culture, for some water. And anyway, just to pick this up, let's read verses 28 down to 42. Daniel, would you start that? Sure. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He told me everything I did. Um, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Beautiful evangelist. You know, Mary Magdalene, going to tell the disciples, was an evangelist. Mary of Bethany, anointing Jesus, getting who he was, being paired with the gospel as an evangelist. The Samaritan woman telling a whole town believing was an evangelist. And then look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Uh, Bill, would you get that? Sure. This is following the ascension Mm -hmm. uh, when Jesus ascended Mm -hmm. to heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers." And we know this becomes the hub from whence the true evangelization for the church, you know, continues on after Jesus' ascension. I just push back from this conversation and just kind of sit with my mouth open, thinking, you know, however we interpret and apply our understanding of how women can, should, shouldn't, serve and utilize their giftings in the family, in the church, in our world. What we know is the foundation is what Jesus did with women. And he invited them 
into critical roles, including that of being a recipient, being a supporter, a disciple, a witness, and an evangelist, one who would share the good news with others. been listening to Discover the Word and the conclusion of our look at these passages in the Gospels that give insight into some of the roles of women in the work of Jesus. And I hope these conversations have challenged and encouraged you to embrace your role in his ongoing work today. Lisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry have been your study partners this time. And as always, it was good to have you here at the table with us as well. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Because here at Discover the Word, we want to equip men and women to draw closer to God, and that's why we make so many of our resources absolutely free. But we can't do that without you. And so thank you for supporting us in our efforts to tell the story of Jesus and make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible accessible and understandable to people all around the world. It's quick and easy if you'd like to give to go online to our discovertheword.org website and click on the donate tab. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.